Thank you for joining us in our study of the book of Genesis, entitled The Origin of Reason. Repeated three times for clarity and emphasis, we're told that man was indeed created by God. God created man. Then, if you want to get an idea of what he was like, God said, let us make man in our own image. So God created man in his own image. He was made in the image of God. God is establishing here in the early chapters of Genesis a life-grounding truth. Man was created. He was not derived from certain molecules, nor did he evolve from another animated object. He was made by God. He was made in the image of God. There was no monkeying around here, no evolutionary process. Man was created. There's no ambiguity or confusion. Male and female created he them, a body and a soul. And he was placed dominant over the animals. Man was first designed in the mind of God long before the foundation of the world. He makes his first appearances in Genesis 1 on the sixth day of creation. God said, let us make man in our own image. This is something God did on the sixth day. I am married and have been for quite some time. One thing I've learned, and I'm still learning, is that my wife is tremendously and extraordinarily different from me. Sure, the biological anatomy is dissimilar, but the physiology, the emotional makeup, the physical ability, her desires and essentials of her nature, her ability to endure in a loving relationship, to care for the kids, they're all different from me. Today, however, I'm being told by psychologists, educators, and even my government that men and women have little to no essential differences. Perceived differences are the result of skewed information. Our family environment and antiquated social norms have served to establish false notions over decades. These ideas, society is telling us, are antiquated and draconian and are in need of a sweeping change. At the rate things are going, the national understanding will be changed within the next few years. Regardless of what these people are trying to force on us and our children, men and women are completely different. It goes beyond biology. Male and female made he them is what the Bible says. Two totally separate beings. Men are not women trapped in a male body, nor are females men trapped in a female body. God did not make any mistakes. Gender dysphoria is a total confusion of the mind. The World Health Organization views this as a mental illness. But we in America? Well, we're far more understanding and far more accepting. The DSM, the American Psychiatric Association's Manual of Mental Disorders, is altering their perspective on what once was considered a mental disorder. What does it say now? It says that today, in our society, we are allowed, from a physiological and medical standpoint, to sincerely and seriously question our gender. You, of your own volition, can assign you yourself a particular gender. You can choose at any given time, from childhood until death, if you are male or female, you can choose to be the opposite. The choice is yours. How do you feel today? You feel feminine? Masculine? Huh, it's something worth thinking about. Scripture leaves things black and white. While we may roll our eyes at these things, they are becoming serious public discussions and creating a gray chasm in our society. This issue is far more critical than many Christians ever imagined it could be. Even secular-minded individuals are shaking their heads in amazement and disgust. God created male and female. Women are not men, and men are not women. When a man attempts to be a woman, or a woman attempts to be a man, you have a monstrosity. The change is cosmetic and chemical, but the mind stays the same. What is not mentioned in the public discussion is that 41% of transgender individuals 
attempt suicide at a rate 22% higher than the national average. Do you say man is superior then? Yes, I do. He is far superior at being a man than any woman, regardless of what surgical procedure has been performed. What about a woman? Honestly, I believe a woman is superior as well at being a woman. It's when these two get confused that it becomes a mess. This does not address equality before God. Equality and distinguishing characteristics are two different categories. Both men and women have equal standing before God. Jesus Christ died for Adam as much as he did for Eve. In the economy of operations, the Bible places man in the lead. He is to protect, care for, cherish, and love his woman. The woman is to respond, receive, respect, nurture, and follow the lead of the man. Now I realize that this will not garner a favorable response by many, many people. The culture has changed. The truth never changes. This is how things are laid out in the Word of God. And this is how we are to respond. This alignment is seen within the Godhead. Among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we can detect no superiority. But we definitely see distinctions being made. The Son submitted to the will of the Father in order to carry out the work of salvation. The Spirit submits himself to the will of the Son and the Father to mature and to guide the believer. Neither are inferior to the other. All are equal. We see a mutual submission for the carrying out of a task. God created man, and today man has gone far astray from this. Such teachings create a division, a wide chasm as mentioned earlier. While mankind remains dominant over the animal kingdom, the male and female issue is being attacked. We have a new claim that man in his great and profound wisdom has brought forth. Our social scientists want us to believe that we're actually gender neutral. We're neither male nor female. So the gap widens. Satan is attempting to blur the lines in what once seemed to be an immutable truth while creating even greater confusion in humanity. The fact remains that God created man in his own image, and I'll say that many, many times during this study. Male and female, he created him. This is absolute, regardless of man's incredulous arguments to the contrary. Man is a created being, male and female. God created them. While these facts remain unalterable, the reason for his creation seems to have been interrupted by the entrance of sin. The Bible teaches us that man was created by God to be wholly his. This is translated as holy, H-O-L-Y. A failure to be wholly his represents a true departure from the original purpose. Prior to the fall, Augustine said that man was posse peccari and posse non peccari, which means that he could choose to sin or not to sin. Due to radical corruption, man is no longer holy. He sinned, and since then he has sought to hide from God. He is now afraid of his maker and friend. God has said every inclination of the thought of his heart was only evil all the time. In the battle for the soul of mankind, man has fallen. This is where the concept of man being lost has been derived. He lost the battle, and the depth of that defeat has yet to find bottom. We are in a constant descent. In trying to operate on his own, utilizing his own devices, man has turned to his own ways. These ways have secured his ruin. His relationship with God has been severed. He has no way of regaining the place he once held. Before he sinned and turned to his own way, it was possible for a man to say no to sin. However, at the same time, he possessed the ability to participate in sin as well. He embraced the latter. Now it is the bent of his nature. Today, no man chooses God. He cannot. 
and will not say no to sin. Initially, man chose to sin. He elected to fall into a pit, and now he finds himself trapped. He is isolated and incapable of removing himself out of that pit of ruin. God must provide a way if there is to be any hope at all. Enter the fullness of the gospel. Jesus Christ has come, but this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Oh man, how we've fallen. There are so many questions. In Genesis 2, things begin to center on Adam and Eve in particular. Creation having been explained, the focus now begins to zero in on man. If you have a true desire to know who you are, why you are here, and where things are headed, this is probably the best place to begin your search. If you choose to ignore these accounts, you will discover that a great block of essential information will be gone, leaving a great many of your questions unanswered and some fairly large gaps in your reasoning and thinking. Things concerning creation will not make sense. You can move on to study the Big Bang and other concepts, but without a creator, these things and these ideas fall apart. To indicate the importance of this particular passage, I would point out that Christ himself relied on chapter 2 in particular when discussing the issue of divorce with the Pharisees in Matthew 19, 4, and 5. First, he cited Genesis 1:27 in his response. Haven't you read that the Creator made them male and female? Then, as he continued, he referred to Genesis 2:24 in saying, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Jesus put his confidence in these early foundational chapters as laying out basic, fundamental principles of life. We cannot ignore this, nor should we. I believe it's safe to say, if we reject the biblical account of creation, we would of necessity need to reject the entire balance of Scripture. The Bible stands or falls on Genesis. If this is a false narrative, which is nothing more than a tale given to help us get a grasp of the bigger picture of God's true ability, then we can read it alongside Aesop's Fables, which is a book presenting moral stories. If we cannot trust what is written here, it would be ludicrous to trust anything else contained in the pages of the Bible. Either this is God's verbal, plenary-inspired word, or it is not. It really is a black-and-white issue, and we must learn to accept within Christian circles that this is an absolute truth. It is not a matter of ebony and ivory learning to live together in harmony. Those who reject God's word reject God. Those who embrace God's word and rely on it will grow to know God. God begins to move forward in explaining how man was created. Some educated men of the liberal persuasion want us to believe that here we have two tales of creation and thus it is a contradiction. This is not the case at all. Chapter 2 pertains to the details of man's creation. Chapter 1 touched on the creation of man, while chapter 2 describes the details. Man is placed on center stage for us to see. From this point on, he becomes the focal point of all scripture. Man was created with one thing in mind, for fellowship with God. Everything else plays the supporting role in supporting the main character, which is man. Now, in our next study, we will address what a real question is for some. Let's stop here for a moment and consider some true questions that arise, which we will do as we continue in our study of the origin of reason. I want to thank you very much for joining us today, being with us in this study. Your participation is well appreciated, and I hope you receive something to benefit. Come back next week and be with us as we study again the origin of reason.